Well, it's good to see y'all's faces. That's really nice. It's also good to feel Presbyterian again because so many more people are way back there and these are way more empty up here. I'm glad to see that as we made you sit near the front, we, ne- we didn't actually acclimate you to the front. You were able to find that healthy, distant place, that Presbyterian pew. So, well done you. All right, so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14. We took a brief hiatus from Mark as we uh, enjoyed Holy Week uh, Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday last week, and then now we're going to return to this study uh, in the gospel according to Mark. And we're coming to um, kind of a hard part of the story. Now, there's a lot of hard parts of the story, and as we've said before, we're going to spend a lot of the time uh, over the next handful of months, next two months, I guess, because the bulk of what we have in front of us is Jesus on his way to the cross, experiencing all kinds of suffering. Um, I was thinking about uh, a story of one of the early church fathers. Uh, so um, there is a, uh, there's a church father whose name is Polycarp. Polycarp uh, was the bishop of Smyrna, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he was born right near, uh, he was born as sort of the, the fledgling church was um, sort of launching, and so he died in 150 A.D., so if you track his life back, he was alive and is sort of known as the, the disciple of the Apostle John. So kind of his big deal in the early church was he was the last living church father who had been discipled by one of the apostles, okay? So that's who Polycarp was. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and uh, the story is told of his death. He was 86 years old, uh, and the proconsul, the Roman proconsul there in, uh, in or around Smyrna had heard of him uh, and was wanting to make an example of him. And so Polycarp had sort of been going from home to home, and his, his sort of a church family was trying to get him kind of relocated anytime they thought that he might be in danger. And so then word came to them that soldiers were coming looking for, looking for Polycarp. Uh, and so his, he was in this home, and uh, his followers were like, hey, you got you to relocate. You got to go. They're coming for you. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm, I'm going to let them come. And so they come and they take him prisoner and they take him before the proconsul. And the proconsul wants him to uh, deny Jesus. He says, I want you to deny Jesus and I want you to uh, essentially say, down with the atheists, which does sound super weird. You're like, what does that mean? Well, because in Roman culture it was polytheistic, the fact that Christians only believed in one God and that was a God-man, they referred to Christians as atheists at that point. And so they wanted Polycarp to reject Jesus and to reject Jesus' family. And I just want to read you the quote. This is what Polycarp is quoted as saying to that proconsul. He said, 86 years have I served him, and he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? And so he was burned alive. And his death was happening slower than the proconsul wanted, so he was also stabbed while he was being burned alive. And so he gave his life for his faith. Maybe think uh, a couple years ago, I was reading The Lord of the Rings. It took me a couple years to read The Lord of the Rings. And um, there's that statement that Gimli makes. He's a dwarf. He says, Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. When the going gets tough, if you bail, what kind of faithful friend are you? And so Polycarp showed his faithfulness. He wouldn't deny Jesus. But I'm about to read for us from Mark when the Apostle Peter denies Jesus three times. And it leaves us wondering, what do we do with that? Was Polycarp a better follower of Jesus? Were so many other martyrs better followers of Jesus than Peter? What are we supposed to learn from Peter? 
And so I want us to look and see, as we look at Peter, his story is a case study for us, and we can see a warning in it, but we can also see hope in it. And so as we think about denying Jesus, I want us to see the warning, but also hear the hope as well. So let me read for us. This is Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. Lord Jesus, thanks for this opportunity. Help us to engage your word well. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we're told here in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, and just a reminder, Jesus is before the council. Jesus is being tried at this point after being betrayed. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warning himself, warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So this is a story, this is Peter's story, and I think it's safe to assume that none of us would want this story retold of us, and yet it's retold in the gospel accounts. It's an important part of the story. It's important because Jesus said it was going to happen, and it happened, but it's important for us to see what happens to Peter in the face of this denial, on the other side of this denial. This is a, this is a sad story. And so how, do we, how are we supposed to empathize with Peter? What are we supposed to learn from Peter? How is this supposed to shape us? And as I said, I want us to see a warning in it, but I also want us to see hope. And so as we look at this, I, I want us to first look at this, this text and see the warning for us. So let's just walk through it. In verse 66, we have Peter, and I, and I want us to see Peter goes into the courtyard of the high priest. He goes into a hostile environment. He puts himself in, in, in a place where I mean, he is at risk. There's a little bit of, it seems almost courageous at the front end for, G, for him to put himself there to be close to Jesus and try and find out what's happening to Jesus. In verses 67 and 68, suddenly he gets noticed, and so he denies he has any association with Jesus. And then he goes to a different part of the courtyard. And then he denies again in verse 70. And then in verse 71, he emphatically denies that he has any connection with Jesus, and he invokes a curse on himself. And then the rooster crows that second time. He remembers, and he breaks down. It's actually a really simple story. What happened in that, those early hours for Peter is exactly what Jesus said would happen. I want us to see a couple things. One is Peter did not go into the, the courtyard of the high priest intending to deny Jesus. That is not why he went in there. This is not a Judas scenario. Peter went in to the courtyard caring about Jesus, wondering what was happening to Jesus, concerned. But he went in not planning on denying Jesus, but he went in trusting in his own resolve that he would stand for Jesus. He's trusting in himself when he went in. And we're, we're told in Mark 14, 29 through 31, which Mark references here, this is Jesus having a conversation with his disciples. This is when Peter says to him, says to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I'll not fall away. And Jesus said to Peter, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. 
But he, Peter, said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So Peter went in sure that he would stand and die with Jesus. And then he denied him three times. And it's because Peter's resolve failed. Peter's resolve couldn't handle actually standing for Jesus because of what it entailed. Was it a tough context? Absolutely. He was in a hard spot. Was it an emotionally charged time? Absolutely. Definitely emotionally charged. Was he in probably like a mental chaotic spin? Yes, absolutely. And it makes sense to us that in that situation, resolve was going to falter. He was in an incredibly hard place. And if we think about it, we think about putting ourselves in that place. I don't trust my own resolve in that scenario. And so on some level, I hope that we can empathize with Peter. Like, that's hard. He was in an incredibly tough spot. And he caved. And we can feel the shame that floods over Peter there in verse 72 when he just breaks down and he weeps. We're told in Luke's account of this, in chapter 22 of Luke, that at that moment when the rooster crowed that second time, Luke tells us, the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the roaster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus looked at Peter because Jesus remembered. And Peter saw and he turned from Jesus and he broke down. Peter remembers the words of Jesus spoken that very night, but I would bet that Peter also remembers the words of Jesus spoken when he taught about this. In Matthew chapter 10, we're told this, Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Peter remembers that Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times, but I would bet that Peter also remembered that Jesus said, if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before the Father. Peter feels crushed, absolutely crushed in this moment. And I want, to see, I want us to see ourselves in Peter because denying Jesus is actually something that every one of us is susceptible to. It's not uncommon if you're watching a movie or a television show and there's these two kids that grow up and maybe they live on the same street or um, they like to fish at the same pond or whatever it is. They're, they're six years old and they're best friends and then they get to middle school and one of them's awkward and one of them's a little bit more popular and that popular kid pretends like they don't know the awkward kid anymore. And we've watched that plays out in high school stories. We like to pretend that it only happens in middle school and high school, but those of us who are past middle and high school know that that continues to happen. People actually deny knowing us, whether they do it verbally or whether they do it by their actions. We know what it's like to, to distance ourselves from someone or feel distanced by someone. And we, we like to think that we wouldn't do this to Jesus, but then we find ourselves in a hostile environment. And we're just as susceptible as Peter. And actually, we find ourselves in substantially less hostile, just uncomfortable positions. And we do the same thing. And we deny Jesus. Now, Peter's an extreme example of this, but he's still an example because denying Jesus comes in like a whole array of forms. Jesus being denied by Peter is is the most blatant, absolutely. Like the idea of a verbal denial. You're a follower of Jesus. No, I'm not. Yes, that's, that's a verbal denial right there. And, you know, Polycarp faced it, but he wouldn't recant. He wouldn't reject Jesus. Uh, There are brothers and sisters of ours around the globe right now that are facing those same deny Jesus or else. And that's part of their story. 
You and I may one, you may have faced it, but we may one day face something just like this, where we're asked or told, deny or die. Those are your options. Now, for most of us, that's not the context we live in currently. There's no promise that it won't become the context that we live in. But for us right now, it isn't. But there are other forms of denial. You can have denial by silence, denial by avoidance. Maybe think of the quote from Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, in the end, we'll remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. There's a way that we deny and we reject and we betray and we show ourselves to be disloyal by just being silent when we should speak up or by crossing uh, over to the other side of the room to not be involved in a conversation or not engage in something. Those, out of whether it's embarrassment or fear or intimidation, like those are forms of denying Jesus. Not as blatant as Peter, but still in the same vein. Then there's other ways that we deny Jesus by saying that we're with Jesus, but then actually aligning ourselves with things that actually undermine the gospel and the lordship of Jesus. I was reminded of that uh, this Easter, there was a prominent uh, politician and ordained minister who went, to, who went on Twitter and shared this. He said, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. That's denying Jesus. That's essentially saying, I'm with Jesus, except it's not the real Jesus. I'm with Jesus when Jesus says what I think he should say, and so therefore I'll create my own Jesus. That's denying Jesus, just as much as Peter did. And I want us to wrestle with this. I need to move quickly, and I'm actually going way too slow, so I'm going to really pick this up. So just buckle up. We're going to get through it all. But I want us to know, like, hey, the pressure is already building for us. You feel it. We know that in this cultural moment, this is coming. Like denying Jesus or whether it's social death or financial death, tax status death, whatever it is, there's a death that's being lifted over our heads. And this is not a time for us to cry, woe is us. How could Jesus let this happen to us? It's a time for us, like Polycarp, to say, Jesus has been so faithful to me. I'm not going to reject him. And we'd be foolish if we just stick our heads in the sand and assume that we're about to turn some magical corner and we're suddenly going to be in a Christian nation. We're not. And so this warning for us in Peter is, is actually a really important warning for this moment. And a lot of times our reaction to this is to say, why is the world the way the world is? I'm the victim. But what we see here is Jesus is helping prepare us. You're not the victim. You're actually going to get to stand with Jesus, who's the Lord, and gave himself for a broken world. But in so doing, we, we have to know we cannot look to our own resolve. You and I will pull a Peter just like that. Because if we think that we're strong enough, we're going to be proven to be really weak. If we know that we're weak, we'll be prepared for moments like this. And that's where we're going with the rest of our time. All right, so the last thought before we look, talk about the hope. One of the ways that we know that we've denied Jesus is you know the shame that Peter knows. You know when you feel it. That lingering feeling of you like, I know I should have said something. I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have walked away. I know I shouldn't have felt the way I felt. I felt embarrassed and now I feel ashamed. 
We know those feelings. Those feelings help us understand what Peter was going through. And I want us to see that what Peter does is what's so important. Not that he just weeps bitterly, but I want to now take a moment and read for you from John chapter 21. We're going to stick with Peter's story. So now Jesus has been resurrected, and the disciples have seen him, and we find ourselves, you know, a little ways into the handful of days that Jesus was with his disciples or in bodily form before he was ascended. And Peter and the disciples are out fishing, and they see Jesus on the shore. And so they go to shore, and Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. And that's where we pick up the story. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you also where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So the hope for us, the hope for us is the hope for Peter. And that's that when Jesus looked at Peter, when the, crow tw- when the rooster crowed the second time, it was not a look of, shame, of shaming judgment. It was a look of love. There's a great article in the Gospel Coalition about the look of love of Jesus when he looked at Peter. How do we know that it was a look of love? Because we know the rest of the story. Peter didn't actually probably receive it as a look of love. He just felt more shame. But when we pick up the story here in John chapter 21, Jesus asked Peter three times here, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says yes. And he's grieved that last time because he feels humbled and crushed. Is there a place with him with Jesus? And he leans on Jesus. And what Jesus does here is he restores Peter. He calls him to feed his sheep. He says, once again, follow me. He lets Peter know, you're in. That Matthew 10 is not your trajectory, Peter. Before the Father, I know you. And I'll tell him I know you. And so Peter has that confidence because Jesus gives him that confidence. And he even gives Peter a glimpse into his life. Peter's going to have an opportunity to stand with Jesus. The story is told that that Peter ended up being crucified himself. This is not in the New Testament. This is just uh, a story that's told from the early church. Some have said that that he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. He wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified like Jesus. The point being, Jesus was telling Peter here, your death is going to be a death that you wouldn't have wanted, but you're going to be able to glorify God with it. There's opportunity for you still. And so he fully restores Peter. Just a couple quick comments on this. This is not Jesus testing Peter. He's not saying, Peter, I'm not sure if you love me because you denied me three times, so you're going to have to prove it. That's not what it is. That's not what's happening here. It's actually Jesus being gracious to Peter when he asked him three times. Does it feel gracious to Peter? Not in the moment. But you'll notice that Peter's in a, in a place, Peter's in a public setting again, but he's in a public setting with those who would feel the most shame in front of, the other apostles. 
So Jesus says, do you love me? He gives Peter the opportunity to say it three times. It may not feel like an opportunity to Peter, but it is because it's a full restoration. Jesus is letting Peter declare his faith three times so that before the watching church, they will know that Jesus has welcomed him back. He's been fully restored. That's what's happening for Peter. His disloyalty, his denial, his betrayal, he was afraid it had dealt a death blow to his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus shows us that's not the case. Jesus, Jesus actually, he's the one that, that through the death blow, that prevents us from being able you know, to, to be close to him. Our relationship was estranged because of sin. Jesus paid for that on the cross. So Peter's sin, even the sin of denying Jesus three times, cannot separate him from the Lord Jesus. And I want us to see in this text one thing. It's not insignificant to deny Jesus. That is not the point that Jesus is making here. It is incredibly significant to deny Jesus. It breaks Jesus' heart, but it doesn't break our relationship with Jesus. If you deny Jesus because you never have a relationship with Jesus, then, then you're in trouble. But it's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus shows us here that those who have a relationship with him, though their faith crumbles, though their loyalty crumbles, Jesus' loyalty never crumbles. And our hope is grounded in his loyalty, not in ours. And so we have Jesus here patiently and lovingly pulling Peter close to him. And in one sense, he makes Peter walk through the hardness of having to say, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you three times. Because Peter has to process what he's experienced as he has felt separated from Jesus and estranged from Jesus because of his own denial. Jesus walks him through that and says, follow me on the other side. And so I want us to see ourselves in Peter here as well. You know, when you and I deny Jesus, he looks at us, he sees us, and we know that he sees us, and we're tempted to believe that he looks at us and he's shaking his head with judgment and embarrassment over us. But it's not. He looks at us with love just the same way that he looked at Peter. And even though it hurts Jesus, he already paid for it. None of our sin will ever separate us from Jesus. If you're a follower of his, he paid for all of it. And so he looks at you with love. And every time that you and I turn our back on him or we feel that heat of shame and that regret, we worry maybe I just messed this up one too many times, even though it's painful for us, Jesus draws us close and he says to us, do you love me? So that we can say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Because our tendency is to assume that when we treat Jesus the way we treat him, there's no place for us next to him anymore. And so Jesus lovingly pulls us close and processes our sin with us and our denial with us, and he welcomes us back time and time again. He leads us once again to know that he says to you and me, just like he did to Peter, follow me. Your relationship with me is not, is not destroyed. Peter, one of the things I love about the story of Peter is Peter denied Jesus and he was weeping in shame. And then when he finds out from those women that the tomb is empty, he's the first disciple to run to the empty tomb. Is he confused? Yes, but he's the first one to run. We didn't read it, but you know what happens in John when they're out on that boat and they see Jesus over on the shore on the beach? They start pulling their nets. It says, John says, Peter put on his clothes and threw himself into the sea so he could swim to Jesus. 
What we see in Peter is a man who feels crushed by his sin, but he knows what to do. He runs to Jesus. That's where he goes. If you know the story, you know that when Judas realized what he had done when he betrayed Jesus, he hung himself. Because there was no relationship between Judas and Jesus Jesus that we can see. And his response was to let his estrangement crush him. Peter's response is to know there's one I need and I'm going to run to him or swim to him. We need to see in Peter what happens when Jesus' followers deny him. They feel broken over it. Where should they go with that brokenness? To the one who looked on them with love. We go to Jesus. So I want to encourage you. We don't, we don't ask you to read the New Testament with us just because we want you to do something legalistic. We don't ask you to be here and sing songs with us because we think that somehow those songs are magical. These are practices that we want you to have in your life. We want you to have a life where you talk to God and he talks to you. And you celebrate Jesus and you feel his joy over you. We want you to have those things. We want you to experience those things because that's running to Jesus. And so when you feel that shame and you feel that heat knowing that you have denied him again through whatever means you employed that time, you need to run or swim or whatever it is to Jesus because that's what Jesus' followers do. We know that when we rely on ourselves and we falter, our hope is that it was never on us in the first place. It was always on Jesus. And so we can run to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we've had to reflect on these things together as a church family. It's hard to look at the story of Peter and, and know that that's our own story too. We don't want that to be true. We want to believe that you know, we're more like Polycarp than we are like Peter. But the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, the difference between Polycarp and Peter is that Polycarp is trusting you and Peter was trusting himself. And I think about how often... I'm trusting myself, and that's really humbling. And we know that the world that we live in right now is a world that is going to continue uh, to escalate in its challenging of our faith. And we're tempted to be sad and broken over that. And it's good for us to feel broken over sin in the world and to feel broken over the brokenness that we see around us. But at the same time, Jesus, we know that you're going to grow us, that you're going to be at work in us. We know that as you test our faith and as you grow our faith and as you walk us through our own denials and our own restoration and you give us strength and like Peter, our story looks more and more like one who knows how, how confident we can be in you, that what you're doing right now is actually a good thing. It's a good thing for us. I pray that you'll give us that sense. And for those of us this morning who feel broken over whatever denial we employed this week, I pray that you will help us to run to you in this moment and to run to you at the table. And as we come up up on another week, we pray that you will just grow in us a sense of our dependence on you and the confidence we can have because you're for us. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.